You are about to hear a message from one of our worship services at Rescue Church, located in West New York, New Jersey. If you'd like to visit or learn more about us, please check out www.rescuechurch.tv. One of the things people don't understand in the kingdom is if you're going to be a vessel of honor, you have to learn humility. People think that they can have no regard for authority, no understanding of order, and somehow bring freedom to other people. That's a worldly spirit that has to get out of you. Okay, so Moses went and returned to Jethro's father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go and return my brethren who are in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go and return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Once Moses obeyed God and the rod was transformed, it went from Moses' rod to God's. Obedience doesn't just transform you, it transforms the things that you touch. Because the things that you touch should be an instrument of blessing to the world around you and an instrument of freedom. Okay. Moses, did, did you see what Moses did? He didn't ask his wife, hey honey, if, it, if it's okay with you, would, would it be okay if maybe... Maybe we went to church on Sunday. Would that be okay? I would love to serve on a mission trip once a year if you can handle a week without me. Is that okay, honey? No, he said, we're going to Egypt. No, I have to do this. He, he, he said, you don't understand. I'm not asking you. <laughs> this is not, I'm telling you. <laughs> and, some, and sometimes, that, you actually just sometimes have to do that. Okay? Now watch when he doesn't do that. Watch what's about to happen. You're going to see something. Watch what happens. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the, let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. Uh-oh. Israel is my son. This is the first time the fatherhood of God is mentioned. Listen to this. Israel is my son, my firstborn son. According to God, the firstborn gets a double portion. My firstborn son say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Listen to this. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn son. So God is saying, let them go. I'm going to give you an option. I'm going to allow you to let them go or I'm going to make you loosen your grip. And this is the God we don't want to preach. We don't want to preach this God. We want to preach a nice, hippie, vegan, socialist Jesus who does not say, no, you must let go. You're either going to let go nicely or I'm going to make you let go, but you're going to let go of my people. Because God is very concerned about the freedom of His people. And God will use all of His power and all of His resources and all of His authority for the freedom of His people. As a father, I'm a very loving person, a very peaceful person. But if you come in my house to try to harm 
anyone in my house, you will be met with resistance. And it will be over my dead body, literally, that anyone will do anything to my wife and children. And I'm not God, but God is willing to use all of His power and all of His authority for the freedom of His children. This means everything to God. Whether you feel it or not, you mean everything to God. So we're going to go through this New Testament and Old Testament. You mean everything to God. You are what He wants. So I don't know if you ever go on the internet and you have a dream vacation or maybe you have a dream house or a dream car. God is like surfing the web for you. Where, where's, where's Rocco at? Where's Joseph at? Where's Brett at? And he's looking at pictures of you and go, ah, I, He has everything, but He wants you. Watch this. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, let him go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, I will indeed kill your firstborn son. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me, so let him go. Then he said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. This, let, me, let me give you this. This is crazy. God is at the hotel on Route 46 about to kill Moses. The, the word encampment there is also an inn or somewhere you stay. Now God is, God is about to kill Moses. <laughs> you ever, have you ever read this passage? This is wild. It's like God has a 9mm to Moses' head. Like, Moses, what's up? <laughs> What you doing, Moses? You're not doing, you're not handling your business, Moses. This is how ghetto people hold a gun. You don't actually shoot a gun like that in real life. <laughs> and, and, and then what does his wife do? Zipporah, his wife, his wife circumcises his son. And then God backs off from Moses. God hates when a man doesn't fulfill his responsibility. It's life and death, whether a man fulfills his responsibility or not. The covenant is a token in the flesh of God's covenant with Abram, who became Abraham through covenant because covenant transforms you. We have a spirit in the earth, a covenant-breaking spirit in the earth that has become normative, not only in the earth, but in the church. And we are a generation, hopefully, who will rise up and say, no, we're going to be married and, and we're going to stay married. And if you're not married now, then hopefully when you get married, you stay married. And if this is your second or third marriage, hopefully the next one works. There's no shame. There's no guilt. But we don't want to participate with a covenant-breaking spirit. Just to let you know. Some of you are the first people to stand up and break this curse in your family. Um, but, but this is god hates when a man does not fulfill his responsibility. He hates it. He doesn't hate the man, okay? And if God wanted to kill Moses, trust me, God could easily kill Moses. But, but this is a picture of showing us the importance of a father to play his role in the life of his children. And we have a generation of women that want to cut men instead of a generation of men who cut their children. 
this is not a problem. Excuse me, this is a big problem that when a man is absent, all types of evil can just have their way. Now, Zipporah circumcised a child, and God is like, <laughs> God put the gun down. God's like, someone did the responsibility. And so she takes the foreskin and throws it at Moses' feet, which is to say, that was your responsibility, Moses. You're supposed to do that. And this is what I want to say to you men. Men, there are certain things that only you can do in your home, and if you don't do it, God hates it. He doesn't hate you. But God hates that, and God takes that very seriously, because how is Moses going to be a deliverer if he cannot even circumcise his own child? If he cannot even fulfill the responsibility in the home, how can he do it in a nation? How can he set a nation free when the, the token of covenant is not even in the flesh of his son? See, you have to, ministry starts in your heart, in your home. It has to be at home. That's where it, that's where, that's home is the proving ground. Home. It's easy to go to Africa and love people. It's easy to go to Haiti and preach. In your home. In your home. That's, that's where it's real, 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 and really real. So this is the first fatherhood of God. Now, the next one is David. This is beautiful. David is getting ready to offer sacrifices to build the temple. God said to David, you're a bloody man. You cannot build the temple, but your son Solomon can. But it was David's offering and David's money that God used to build the temple. Isn't that beautiful? God lets him participate, but he participated through his seed. This is a very important principle. I cannot read this whole thing. I want to show you David. This is David. First Chronicles 29. Verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever. David as the king and David as the patriarch of the nation, as, as they get ready to build the house of God, he's bringing the fatherhood of God back to the nation. This is very, very important. Especially as it relates to giving and building. Fathers are givers, fathers are builders. Paul said, there are many teachers, not many fathers. A, a teacher will just tell you the Bible. A father will get into the mess of your life. And, and let me say something to you nicely. There's a lot of mess. And that's okay. That's okay. We don't feel the shame when we go to the hospital if we're sick. We don't go with our head down. We have to break the spirit of shame that allows people to live in bondage for 5, 10, 15 years as Christians. We have to break that and say, I'm willing to allow God in. I'm willing to allow the Father in. I'm willing to allow people who are wise to help me with no shame. There's no shame. We have to break that shame. That's not of God. Blessed are you, O Lord. Of Israel, our Father forever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as the head over all, both riches and honor. Does it say poverty and sickness is for yours, O Lord? People like you better when you're struggling. 
Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. So this is David. He's getting ready to dedicate the house of the Lord. I cannot preach the whole passage. His request is that God would give his son a loyal heart. Let me say something to you. There's many things in this world that money cannot buy. Money cannot buy a loyal heart. But money will see if someone has a loyal heart. The issue of giving is an issue of loyalty and fidelity. When people don't do that, they have a disloyal heart. Usually they don't know they're loved. So there's, there's, there's a contention over something that should be settled. This is what many people go through, which is a father issue which we're going to get into. Now... We're going to continue now. If you have time later, read this whole passage. I wish I could read the whole passage. I can't. It's just too much because this is not where we're landing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, with the Old Testament, establish biblically the fatherhood of God. This is Isaiah the prophet. He starts Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He did. Jesus did. He came. Listen to verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father we are the clay and you are our potter and all are the work of your hands. He's going to make a request for deliverance. But what is it in the context of? You are our father. That was, when, that was where the deliverance came when the children of Israel were in Egypt. You are our father. So... This is important. This is a very, very important truth. Let, let me say this to you in, in the simplest way possible. When you come into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom, the Father assumes moral responsibility for you. That's why if you come to church... There will be things that God will address in your life, whether I'm preaching, Joseph's preaching, whoever's preaching. There are things that if your ears are listening, DK and Tina, whenever they talk, there are things that God will address in your life because God has a moral obligation for you as a father. He has a responsibility to you as his children, and so he will address things that will provide you with an opportunity to be free. Now, here, here, that's the good news. <laughs> Here's the other side of that news. Many people will actively not choose freedom because freedom is painful and people have become comfortable in their bondage and they have learned coping skills and they think that their fear and their anxiety is normal and we have a culture that will enforce it as normal and then medicate it and then make 10 different excuses why it's okay for you to live like that. But your Father in Heaven loves you and He would rather you go through a painful process that leads to freedom then have you comfortable in bondage. And many people have become comfortable in bondage. Many people. 
But that is not God's portion for you. That's not his plan for you. So if that's your plan for you, that's okay. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is for freedom. In Galatians 5.1, it says it was for freedom that Christ set you free. For freedom. God, he, he, wants, he doesn't want to control you or manipulate you. God wants you to be free to love him, to be loved by him, to serve him. But that leads to freedom and dignity. Not bondage, not fear, not insecurity. Not, that leads to freedom, true freedom, which is what God wants for his kids. Now, we're going to land in Luke 15 today. This is our target passage, and I'm going to do my best to keep this moving because there's something that God wants us to hear at the end. Luke 15 is the first passage I ever preached in this church more than nine years ago today. Who was here? Joseph? Erica was here. Brett was here. Sarah's still here. God bless her. Luke 15. Now, let's start with the context because the context is not, this is not written to give Adam something to preach on Sunday. There's a context here. You have to hear the context or if you don't hear the context correctly, what we'll do is we'll make this about us and we'll rob ourselves from the actual original audience and the real message. We don't want to do that. Okay. And in our Pentecostal charismatic tradition, we are as good as, as uh, we are as good at robbing ourselves of context as the cessationists are from robbing themselves from healing. <laughs> anyway, I was I was all free. Some people don't know what I'm saying. That's all right. Okay. Luke 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. Look, look, look at that. Sinners and tax collectors wanted to hear him because the things that he was saying was relevant to their reality. Jesus was relevant to people's reality without compromise. You don't have to compromise to be relevant. Yesterday, I was sitting in Joseph's barber chair. He was cutting my hair. And I was talking about, I am a men's rights activist. And a dude was like, do you have a card? No, he was serious. And then I started chipping away at the happy wife, happy life. And guess what he had? He admitted, I have that on my wall in my house. So I had to nicely assault that in a gracious manner. But guess what? You know what it is? People want freedom. We as humans have a sense that we're living in a manner that is less than what God intended for us. And people want freedom. He openly said in front of everyone, I need that. <laughs> this, I mean, this is, this is I, might, I might literally do a website. I'm serious. That might be my ticket about a little fairy. 
Brad supports that. I got monthly supporters. Men's rights, we're outside marching and stuff. <laughs> Oh yeah, we don't hate anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, because there's men that hate women, but we're not that group. <laughs> we love women. We're not into gayness either. All right. So now, and the Pharisees and the scribes complain. So now the religious people are always complaining. Religious people are harder to deal with than sinners. Can I tell you something? I have more drama in church than in Spanish Harlem and Patterson and all the crazy places and Nork and all the ridiculous places that we used to be and do crazy things. I have more drama in church. More late night conversations over the same thing. More, more like ridiculous stuff in church. That's religion. And the Pharisees and the scribe complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eat with them, and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, So everything that he's about to say is in context to religious complainers who are upset that Jesus is engaging with sinners. Now, let's just keep that in mind, okay? What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which he lost until he finds it? And then he has found it. He lays on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who have no need of repentance." Here, Jesus is revealing his ministry. Parable 1 is about the ministry of the Son, the ministry of Jesus that goes after the lost sheep, specifically the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who he was sent. And some Gentiles got blessed in the process, but his main target was the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who he sent the apostles to. You have to know your target. So... Jesus is revealing his heart, his nature, his ministry, what he's about, what he's like, what he's doing. He's also revealing the value system of heaven. He's revealing that it's actually possible on earth to affect what is going on in heaven. Heaven has more joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 religious people that are pretending. Because nobody is righteous without Jesus, just so you know. And nobody is right without repenting. So heaven's value system is God rejoices over repentance. One of the things that you have to understand in your life is that repentance releases joy. Do you know why some people don't have joy? Because they're unwilling to repent. They don't see it from God's perspective. I don't see that. I don't see that. That's not how I see it. That's not what I read. What does God say? If I'm willing to repent, I'm willing to receive joy. If I'm not willing to repent, I'm not willing to have joy. We have to break the idea of repent. Oh, I'm going to feel guilty. i got to feel ashamed. No, you're going to feel good. <laughs> you will feel happy. 
That's why when you, when you find something in your life that is wrong, okay, I don't have God's heart on finances. Okay, I don't God's, have God's heart on sexuality. Okay, I don't have God's heart on marriage. Rejoice because now you have an opportunity to repent. Repentance starts with, go okay, that's not right. What is he addressing with the religious people? You are not happy that God is encountering people. You should be happy. These are, Jesus came to seek and to save those and that which was lost. And in th this, it's actually those. In Luke, it's, he came to save that which was lost. He's talking about dominion there. But here he's talking about people. Jesus goes after people. I don't know about you, but I was not looking for Jesus when Jesus found me. People are like, I found Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost. You're lost. <laughs> I found Jesus. Oh, was Jesus lost in New York City, like walking around? No. No, you were lost. You were in darkness. He found you. And that's a part of the omniscience of God, that God was found by people who were not looking for him. This is good news. Basic Excuse me, omnipresent, not omniscient, wrong word. So this is the parable revealing the son, the good shepherd. Parable two. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Do you see that? Until you pray until. We, are, we tap out, we give up, and until. Until, until, old school people know until. We pray until you get a breakthrough. We pray until the heaviness lifts. We pray until we have a sense of peace. We, until, until. Come on, bro. Somebody's an until person. We got one. And when she got two, give me three, give me three. And when she... <laughs> and when she has found her, she calls her friends. She doesn't feel ashamed. Oh my God. I can't tell anybody about this. She calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Now, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of, angel, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven is affected by what is happening on the earth. Okay. This parable is revealing the ministry of Holy Spirit. He is not the woman. <laughs> She's a he. Just want to help you know that. He is the light who helps the woman find her lost coin. Holy Spirit does not need to repent. You do. We cannot repent without the light. Have you been listening to the father of lights or the father of lies this week? Because let me tell you what light does. Light exposes things. Not to shame things, to say this is not right. This is wrong. There's darkness in this area. And wherever there's darkness, the enemy can operate freely. People go, I, 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 break every chain and operate in bondage for years. I, the one thing I'm not into, I'm not into fake stuff. I'm not into fakeness. I'd rather have a real G-Shock 
than a fake Rolex. I am not into fake anything. We, I'm not into anything fake in this church. I want real transformation, real change, real presence, real freedom. I'm not into man-made or fake. I want God to do it. I want it to be real. I want it to be genuine. I want it to be authentic. We would rather have 20 people who burn with fire who are real than 500 people playing games. I'm not into games. Games will not help you in the day of trouble. Games will not set you free when all hell breaks loose against your marriage or your children. Games will not help you. So now the coin, let me explain to you what the coin represents. In first century Palestine, a woman who was a virgin would wear 10 coins across her forehead when she would get married. And those 10 coins represented her dowry, but they represented her purity. And in that culture, they didn't celebrate having sex with everyone. They actually celebrated purity. This is something to be celebrated. Especially if you have like daughters. <laughs> like, you know, like, we're going to celebrate purity or an AR-15. What do you want to celebrate, you know? So, <laughs> so anyway, that was free. So, so now, guess what she lost? Her purity. Guess what the Holy Spirit helps her regain? Her purity. The woman who lost the coin lost her purity. What does Holy Spirit do? Help restore her purity. This was an omen. In that culture, it meant something. Purity still means something today. And what if you lost purity, if you lost innocence, it can be restored. God can restore, God, one of the things that God wants to restore is innocence to people. There's some people who are so skeptical of everything, they don't have innocence and they're not teachable. Everything is a hustle, everything is a scam, and, and you, unless God heals you, you will not properly relate to authority and it will hold you hostage, not them. And that is rooted in a dad issue. So dads who are abusive or dads who are absent, which is another form of abuse, give children an authority issue. What that does is it makes sure that they cannot operate in great faith. The only mega faith was in the context of learning how to relate to authority correctly. When I came into the kingdom, I hated authority. I didn't respect nobody. I didn't respect nothing. But you know what was the problem? Not them, me. And we can talk about this government and that government, but yet you don't operate your house right. We talk about the government's robbing people. You're robbing God. We, we can talk about this and this and this and this, and we can point and point and point and point instead of saying, no, transform my heart. Transform my, my mind. Transform my mouth. Let me regain purity of heart in my life. Because without purity of heart and purity of mind, you cannot process things the way God sees them. You process them through your pain, through your disappointment, through your worldview, through your struggle. And everything is through that instead of through Him, which will inherently rob you of the thing that God wants to do in your life. Okay.
we're not even into the message yet. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just joking with you. Okay. So then, think of, from now on, think of repentance as good. Somebody's receiving it. No, no, it's good. You have a father who loves you enough that he doesn't want you in bondage. He doesn't want to manipulate you. Okay, I thought it was good news. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Someone's near me. Okay, and he said, a certain man, watch this. A certain man had two sons, huyos. Sons ready for an inheritance. Watch this. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And many days after, the younger son, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want or in need or in lack. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed, uh, to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods at the that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. See that? That's the world. They're not going to give you nothing. The world has nothing for you. Nothing. Now, let me say this. For a son to demand an inheritance from his father while his father is alive, that's like saying, you're dead to me. I don't want you. I want what you have. Yeah. Highly dishonoring. In the hood, it's like spitting in someone's face. That, what he just did... He, he spit in his father's face. That's what he did. Just to give you the revelation so you understand culturally. Because you're not hearing this with first century Palestine ears. You're hearing it with 21st century American ears. And what that means is, you're dead to me. Give me what's mine. Which means, I don't want a relationship with you. I want what you can give me. And many people approach God like that. So the father goes, okay. And he gives him his portion. This is what I've learned. Anyone who demands honor doesn't deserve it. Anyone who demands an inheritance is not ready for it. Anyone who demands to be heard or seen or a position is not ready for it. That was free. Okay. Let's continue. Okay. Now it says that he joined himself to a man. Now, <laughs> uh oh, we're going to get into it. Johnny! Johnny! Some people don't know who Johnny is. Johnny struggles with his sexuality, but God wants him to be free. It's not a joke either, it's serious. He joined himself to another citizen, and then the pronoun, pronouns, he. He. The word joined there. Is, is, is the word where he joined himself to a wife. Paul uses it, he joined himself to a prostitute. You, you get the picture of that? And also being joined to the Lord, being one spirit with God. So he joined himself to a man. 
Okay. Listen to me. First century ears are like, whoa, this is beyond Jerry Springer. This story is like Jerry Springer on crack, walking around like, I mean, this story is, is crazy. Jesus is getting their attention because he wants to illustrate something. And you know, Jesus knows how humans think. He knows that we think in pictures. So Jesus is giving them a word picture that they will never ever forget. Do you know people know this story who don't even read the Bible? This, this term, the prodigal, has, has made itself into media, movies, everywhere. People who don't even know the Bible know this story, and, and they don't even know what it really means, though, but that's another story. Okay. So now, he has joined himself to a citizen of another country whose pronoun is he. <laughs> so I'll let you put up, put that now, to make it worse, God wants to make it real clear, Jews don't eat pork. Pork is unclean. This man is unclean in every way. He has completely defiled his father, and he has been completely defiled himself. Let me tell you something. What you sow, you reap. You sow dishonor, you'll reap dishonor. That's, that's, I know we don't, want, we don't want to hear that, but that's true. So he dishonored his father, and then look at his situation. That's not the point of this story. Let's, let's stick with it. That's just a, another free. Okay. But when he came to himself... But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? So now his high, the, high, the word hired servants there is, is, is a day laborer. You know what a day laborer is? Someone you hire for the day. They're, they're all over this culture, this community. They, they, you go Cliffside Park, you're full of day laborers waiting. They, they work hard for a day's pay. And then at the end of the day, you pay them. You don't do an IOU. You don't do the, I'll tithe next week. I'll tithe next month. I'll give like six months from now. Like you pay them right then and there. <laughs> like, you know, they're day laborers. So this is another thing. This is, the young man comes to himself, but he doesn't come to himself until he hits rock bottom. Until he has a need that his plans are not working out. I don't, I don't know if you're, if you're seeing this or you're, you're, you're experiencing what's happening. He's at rock bottom. He's joined to a man who's a citizen of another nation. And he's in the fields feeding swine as a Jew, which is unclean. And it is the lowest of low. So he's like, he's really down. And in this place of down, guess what starts to happen? A little self-awareness starts to come. He starts to think, wait a second, it wasn't so bad at home. Wait a second, my father's servants have abundance. Not sons, servants have abundance. Oh, the economy of my father is actually it's pretty good. Watch. And he rose... 
and came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here, kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found and he began to be merry. Now, here it comes. Now his older brother was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. Do you know it's possible to live in the Father's house and not have the Father's heart? As pastors, we see it. There's people who are here, they don't have our heart. They don't have our spirit. They don't have our value system. They don't. And they could be here one year, two years, ten years. They don't. They just don't have it. We're trying to impart it, but... You can only impart something to someone who wants to receive it. It's possible to live in the Father's house your whole life to have never left and never have had His heart. But he was angry. It would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, do you see the depersonalization? Not my brother. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with hoes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, Technon. Technon. Son, Technon. Little child. He calls the older brother a little boy. You're an angry little boy. You're insecure. You've lived in the father's house. You don't have the Father's heart. Son, the only time Tecton is used in this whole passage, he calls the son who came back, who repented, Huyos, which is son who's still ready for an inheritance, is still qualified and not cut off. But he calls the, the older brother Tecton. You lived and you've been with me this whole time and you're still a technon. You're still a little boy. Spiritually, you're not, you're not grown. 
you're not mature. You cannot celebrate someone else's freedom. You cannot celebrate someone else's breakthrough. You're depersonalizing it. You're not calling him your brother. You're not happy that he's home. You, you, you are focused on yourself. You are not, you have not got it. You have not, all this time you've been with me and you have not learned my love. You have not learned what I'm like. This is going to be very, very disheartening, but it's all worth it. And he said to him, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother, not my son, for your brother who was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found. This parable is not the parable of a prodigal son because there's two prodigals. There's one who's left and one who's never been there. And that's what you deal with in church too. People that have left and people that have never fully been here. If you're not whole, you can never fully be anywhere. That's why God wants you to be whole. People are not all in with you because they're not all in with them. People are not all in on a marriage because they're not whole. They don't have all of themselves. They're broken. So they, they cannot be all in because they don't have all of themselves. And that's okay. That's why God wants to heal. This is not the parable of the prodigal son. It's a parable of a good father. This father is more concerned about reconciliation than he is about his own reputation. In first century Palestine, a man, an older man, would never run to his son. And he would never run. They come to him. He doesn't go to them. The father did not go meet him in the pig pen. The father saw that he was coming and went out to meet him. That's another thing. I, you, we don't... This is a whole other thing. I'm going to get off that. I'm not going to do that. He had compassion on him. He, he kissed his neck. You, you, know what, you know what the neck is, the neck is? Let me tell you what the neck stands for. Self-will. Stephen said, you stiff-necked, hard-hearted people that always reject the voice of the prophets. He, he kissed the neck, not in a sick way. He kissed his neck because that's the stiff thing that causes people to turn away from God, turn away from the truth. It, it, it is the self-will. It's, it's self He's tenderizing that so he can receive love. This is really something here. The father is the one that is teaching both sons repentance. Let me explain to you the repentance for the young son. The young son assumes responsibility for his actions. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Right? The father doesn't even respond to him. The son comes, Dad, I'm sorry. The father turns to the servant and goes, go get the ring, robe, and sandals. You did the confession. Good job. It's like, amen. It's like, Good job. But I'm going to be the one to teach you 
repentance. I'm going to restore dignity, authority, and identity. Identity, authority, and dignity. That's what repentance is about. You being restored to identity, authority, and dignity. Because those are the things the enemy steals. Identity, authority, and dignity. The robe, identity. Whether you know it or not, garments distinguish people. Joseph, Jesus had a woven garment. Anyway, this is another story. But So he was distinguished servant's ring. He put a ring on his finger. Do you know what the ring symbolizes? The ring is a stamp of authority. In other words, the ring is how in the ancient culture they would put their ring as a seal on something. It's, it's like the doing business as. It's like God the Father putting your name back on the American Express black card. Or putting your name on the check. You know you have 15 names, three middle names, hyphenated names. No, no, no. The real name. Your real name. Your new name, your transformed name. Not your wife's old name. Your name. Put the right name on the check. Change your name. Make, make things right. Not 15 names with hyphens. Your name. <laughs> crazy culture. God put his son's name back on the checkbook. The ring is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of doing business in the Father's name. Sandals. Did you know that servants, servants in first century Palestine did not wear sandals, they were barefoot. You, you see it today, we run, we're in Africa, you see little kids running around barefoot. People all over the world, we were just in Belize, there were people walking around barefoot. Poor people or servants don't have shoes. They wash feet. The father says, no, 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 not here. Not my son. I'm going to teach him how to think. I'm going to teach him about my goodness. I'm going to teach him about my house. I'm going to teach him about me. I'm not interested in my reputation. I'm interested in the reconciliation of my son. That's the father. The father is not afraid to get dirty in our mess. Also, hugging and kissing and running out to meet him after he dishonored him. That shows you what our Heavenly Father is like. He is not afraid to get into our mess, so we shouldn't be ashamed to let Him in. Let God in. He will heal it. He will fix it. He will expose it. Do you know Him giving Him a robe? You know what that's saying? You're naked. <laughs> so He starts with bad news, you know. He giving him a ring, you know what he's saying? You don't have a ring. <laughs> it's like him giving him sandals, you know what that's saying? You got no shoes on your feet. So everywhere there's lack, who steps in? Mommy? Mommy went out to meet him? Dad! Father! Father God! Father God went out to meet his son who was on the way home. To teach him how 
to repent. Repent is not feel guilty, feel ashamed. Repent is to know you are loved and valued. You, you will treat yourself differently. You will treat rings and robes and sandals differently. You will treat money differently. You will treat people differently. Your relationship with the Father will reorient everything in your life if you let it. This is good, good, good news. <laughs> like, this guy went out. He did the nasty, nasty. He lost all his money. He was, he, you know, he was really a mess. And the father says, come home, you're welcome. Come home, you're welcome here. In other words, if you're willing to recognize that you messed up and you want to come home, I'm coming out to meet you. The father did not meet him in the pig pen. See? The father did not meet him in the pig pen. When his heart turned toward the father, the father's eyes turned toward the son. The father was waiting for his son to come home. He was waiting. The Father waits. The Father is a waiter. Nobody waits like Father God. Nobody. I'm waiting on God. God has been waiting on you for 10 years. 15 years. God is waiting. So now, by the way, this is all good news. But we have another problem. What's the problem? The older brother syndrome. Which is the people that Jesus is addressing the people that are mad that Jesus is engaging with sinners. Sinners are welcome here. You know who's not welcome? People that don't want to assume responsibility and act like victims and people and play games. That you're not because you, we can't do nothing for you. We can't. And and we cannot change anyone. I don't change people. I can't even change myself. I don't change people. You're not going to change your husband. You're not going to change your wife. You couldn't even change you. God changes people, but He changes people when their hearts turn toward Him. If your heart doesn't turn, what, what do you want me to do? I can't do anything for you. I was talking to someone the other day. Do you know what? In, in the last 20 years, I have never encountered someone, not once, that was willing to fully embrace the process of discipline and healing, not have their life transformed. The only people whose lives don't transform is the people that don't do it. And I cannot help people who won't listen. It's a waste of my time. I'm not going to do it. God, the Father, won't do it. God, the Father, resists the proud. So if someone thinks they know and they can and they can do it without God, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to tell you it didn't work out for me. I don't recommend it because you'd be joined to another citizen. <laughs> the world will turn you out. That's another story. I'm, I'm going to get out of here. I'll get out of here. Real repentance, I got to get out of that one. Real repentance releases joy. That's good news. This is what everyone's after, man. Listen, 
Everything that they're after in the world can be summed up in two words. Peace and joy. All the pills, all the buying, all the drugs, all the women, all the this, all the... They're after something that we have. I have, I don't know about you, maybe you don't, I don't know. I have an abundance of this in my life. Legit. I'm not saying we're not tired or it's easy, but I have overflow of peace and joy in my life. Overflow. I have enough of this to share with you. <laughs> I'm quite happy today. <laughs> and, uh, and God has enough of this to share with you. This is what everyone's after. All the money that people put away is for a sense of security so they feel peace. People get a new watch and put it on. It's so they have that little joy feel. The world cannot offer that. You scratch that thing, that joy will run out the window so fast. The world cannot give what God has already provided. You can be miserable in a big old house, or you can be happy in a little shack. We see it all over the world. You go somewhere, you knock on the shack, they're like this. And, and you're going, man, that's quite a smile you got there. And you're happy, and I have everything, and I'm just a miserable person. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, God doesn't want us to be miserable. Anyway, all right. God at work. God rescues people. God rescues those who are not seeking him. That's good news. You know, that was me. I don't know about you. I was not seeking God when God apprehended me. See that? God helps restore things that are lost. I remember when I got my brain back. I remember when nose hairs came back in my hair. I remember I go, wow, I'm in my right mind. Huh. Huh. My money that's in my pocket, it doesn't belong to my other pocket. Does <laughs> somebody know what that means? It doesn't belong to someone on a block somewhere. I have power over me. Only God could do that. I, re I remember when this happened in my life. I remember this. I didn't forget this. God rebuilds families that are broken. I've seen him do that too. God rebuilds broken families. God can rebuild your broken family. If, where's the if? If people are willing to participate with God. If you're not willing to participate with God, it's not going to happen. This is not going to happen. And, and, and even if you do participate with God, other people have to participate. But God can rebuild your life. Do you know that? God can rebuild your life. I mean, seriously. God can rebuild your life. This could be your second or third, you know, crack at it. God, it's okay. God can rebuild your life. God can restore the quality of life that He has always intended for you. Now, 
This is the bottom line. You are loved by God. I'm gonna, I want you to hear something to get into your spirit. We're going to put it on Instagram later for the, for the people who are playing hooky today. But I wanted to get into your spirit because these words are from Scripture. They're from the Father to you. But listen, if you believe that you're loved, if you believe that you're loved, can I say something to you? Our love for you is not based on your church attendance. Our love for you is not based on tithe and offering. Our love for you is not based on how well you can sing or not sing. Our love for you is not based on you, and it's not based on me. It's based on Him. The love that the Father has for you, we have that love for you. What the Father wants for you, we want for you. That's why if you have a conflict with me, the conflict is not going to be over me. The conflict is going to be over what the Father wants for you, but you don't want for yourself. You will not have a conflict because I don't do conflicts. I don't start conflicts. I don't start beef. I don't start drama. We have no drama in our house. All of my friends that I've been friends with, I've been friends with them from childhood. I'm a lifer as long as you're not a disaster. <laughs> and even if you're a disaster, I'm still a lifer. I will, I will distance myself. But I have no... I have no ought in my heart against any of you. I, I, I only want the best for you. And that's why there's contention sometimes because some people don't want the best for themselves. Some people are satisfied in bondage, living in the vanity of what they think or what they feel when me and my wife are representatives of the Father saying, we want what God wants for you. Which there becomes a conflict when? When you don't want what God wants for you. That's where the conflict's at. See, and as a representative of the kingdom, I am not here representing my own initiative. If I was a representative of me, let me tell you the God's honest truth, I promise you I would not be here. I promise you. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. If I, if I was here for me, I, I wouldn't be here. But if I'm here for him, I would be here. And we're here to represent the Father, to encourage you toward your Father. Because this is what your Father is like. You screwed up. I did it. Do you know that I was that kid, but I wasn't joined to a dude? <laughs> Let's just make that clear. Yeah, but I definitely played in the, in the mud. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did, and I knew better. So I see that passage as I'm the kid who came home and when I came home and got a ring, robe, and sandals, not everyone was excited. They like you better with no ring. They like you better with no robe. They like you better with no sandals. They like you better with Nikes. They don't, people don't like when the blessing of the Lord comes on your life. People, people then they start looking at you. You weren't looking at me for 15 years while we were sweating. But now, people have, see? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to get off that. You are loved by God and us, and that's final. <laughs> I want you to hear this. Let it, let it, let it sink in, and then we're going to pray.
The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being for you were my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. 
He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been Father, and will always be Father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad, Almighty God.